If you like our podcast, make sure you subscribe, rate, and, and review. review. Yes, and share it with your friends, please. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Super Chat with Kat and Nikita. <laughs> oh, guys, we have a, such a, a great show for you today. Um, we have Pam Landworth. She is the CEO and president of Give Kids the World Village. She has such an amazing journey and story to share with us. Um, Give Kids the World is an amazing organization, charitable organization that fulfills wishes to terminally ill children. Her story is quite amazing and her background of working with Walt Disney and different resorts and now becoming the CEO. Such an empowering and uplifting story. Without further ado, Pam Landwich. Thank you so much for being with us. Can you tell us a little bit about Give Kids the World? Sure. Give Kids the World, we're an 89-acre whimsical village that's a destination for children from around the world who are battling a critical illness and who share one wish. And that's to experience all the magic that Central Florida has to offer. So the families stay with us, the children and their families stay with us for a week-long cost-free vacation. That includes tickets to all the area attractions, all of their meals and transportation and everything all included for them for a week of creating the happiness that inspires hope. Mm, I love it. And we've had the fortune of visiting the village and it is a magical place. Like I didn't want to leave myself. (laughs) Um, It's amazing what you guys are doing. And um, we've worked with Make-A-Wish for years. So it's been so wonderful. So amazing to see these kids just getting to have this wonderful, fulfilling experience um, with their families and creating memories. Yeah, yeah. you have, wow, I was looking at your resume and um, prior to becoming CEO of Give Kids the World, you have an impressive and extensive <laughs> operations, management, project planning, and many years with Walt Disney World. What made you want to become part of Give Kids the World? Yeah, you know, interesting because of course I've only had two jobs in my life and I think I've worked for the best nonprofit and the best for-profit company, you know, that you could possibly, but I was having a wonderful career at Disney and absolutely loved it. And then um, met Henry Landworth, who was the founder of Give Kids the World and we got married and that's how I became involved. I really hadn't heard of it before we met. It was, um, we were playing tennis. I was a fourth for tennis and he was, um, you know, one of the other four players and that's how we met and just hit it off. And, you know, it's just amazing to be able to take all of those skills and things that I learned at Disney and then put them to use in some places wonderful as Give Kids the World. So, you know, I used to think wild horses couldn't pull me away from Disney because I absolutely loved it. But, you know, when you think about the mission of Give Kids the World and all of the children, who want to come down here and, and go to Disney. I mean, that's their wish is to come and experience Disney. And you realize the power uh, um, and the magic that Walt Disney World has. And it's just inescapable. And I've loved every minute. I've been there now for 29 years. Wow. So when he started Give Kids the World, um, I know when you came in, you kind of grew it into what it is today. But what, what was his mission and where did it start? Like, how did he come to mm-hmm. do this? Well, I don't know how much you know about Henry. Henry was born in Europe. He was born in Belgium to a Jewish family. Henry was Jewish. And uh, right before the outbreak of World War II, the family moved to Poland. 
And so unfortunately, um, both of his parents were killed in the war. And he and his twin sister, Margo, spent five years from the ages of 13 to 18 in concentration camps, um, death camps. So they were in Auschwitz and Madhausen, et cetera. So when he was 18, he got out of the camps when the, you know, the war was over. And he and his sister were the only ones that made it out from the family alive. And uh, a couple of years later, he made it over here to um, United States and, um, of course, landed in New York and you know, started there, went to hotel school. Of course, Chris Kiss hadn't had any formal education since he spent all that time in in the concentration camps and just through a series of you know, serendipity. And he ended up he got married. He went down to Miami on a honeymoon and you know, they ran out of money. They decided to stay there. He started working in a hotel and just as things happen, you know, everything happens for a reason. Someone came in one day that was staying at the hotel he was at, you know, forgotten his tie for a meeting and Henry took off his tie and gave it to him and said, here, just use mine. Well, this happened to be BJ McNabb, who went on to open the Starlight Hotel up in Cocoa Beach, Florida, where all the original astronauts stayed. So he he became enamored with Henry and his, you know, uh, spirit of guest service and he said, will you come up and run this hotel for me? Which he did. So anyway, all of it is just one series of things that just happened. And through all of those encounters, he met the founder of Holiday Inn and who became so impressed with Henry. He said, if you're ever interested in having a franchise, just let me know. And so when Disney announced they were going to open in Orlando, that's when Henry decided he was ready for a Holiday Inn franchise. So he opened the very first Holiday Inn right outside the doors of Gift Kids the World which, as you know, is so close. So the wish granting organizations would often call Henry and say, hey, you know, if, you, if we make all the other arrangements, would you put the family up for free? And he would always say yes. Again, he saw, I think he saw himself and these children where they lost control of their lives and they don't have a childhood and he lost his childhood. And then unfortunately, one day his general manager came in and told him that um, a reservation for that evening was canceled. It was for a little girl named Amy from Virginia who'd been battling leukemia. And unfortunately for her, time ran out. And so, you know, I always like to say he could have done one of two things. He could have said, you know, that's too bad. We'll take care of the next family. But he didn't. He said, how could that happen? How could a child not get their last wish? And what he found, it was was taking about three months, um, up to three months for the wish granting organizations to make all the necessary arrangements to get children down here. And some kids just don't have that long. So he said, I can streamline this. And he did. He hopped in the car and went to visit his friends at Disney and then over to SeaWorld. Of course, Universal hadn't opened yet and started Gift Kids the World almost immediately. And now we can bring families down in less than 24 hours. And he made a promise no other child would ever not get their wish. And we've been able to keep that promise now for 35 years. We just celebrated that anniversary. So long story, but you just have to understand how everything happened, you know, for a reason that led him to that point. Yes, and his heart, the, the experiences he had in his life, right? his heart to want to give back to yes. other people. That is such a beautiful Absolutely. And, you know, you hear when people go through that, that he can either come out, you know, bitter and say, why me? Or they can say, why was I saved? I must be here for a bigger purpose. And fortunately, you know, we've served 176,000 families now from all over the world. And um, fortunately, you know, he said, you know, I was saved for a reason. And he, you know, went about, you know, coming, you know, making that true. 
That's incredible. What a beautiful story. Yeah. We, we really loved the room where you have all the stars um, that represent right. children and, and how many there were. And I was like, wow, every single one of those is a wish fulfilled. That's such a beautiful tribute to those kids. It is. And I think that's, and each one of them have a story. So, you know, we talk about numbers like 176,000 and that sounds like a statistic, but each one of those has a very special story and a very special journey. And they're not, they're not alike, you know, even, you know, two children with the same disease have different, you know, outcomes and different stories to tell. And I think that's what kind of resonates when you look up and you see that star, you know, it represents a child who may or not be with us anymore. And the ripple effect of what their experience at the village meant and how it impacted not only their lives, but their families and extended family and all of our volunteers and staff. And it just, I think it's, um, yeah, it just really hits your heart when you look up and see all those stars. Yes. So is there a, a particular story um, of a family that you experienced personally that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I think, gosh, out of 176,000, there's so many. And you'd like to say that they all have a happy ending, but unfortunately they don't. So I think probably two stories. So there's one, a little girl. Um, she was with us back in 2001. She was there at Christmas time and uh, she was stage three kidney cancer and she was on hospice care. So there wasn't, there wasn't much hope at all for her. As a matter of fact, there was, you know, some question whether she was going to be able to uh, live out through the wish. She was from Wisconsin. So she came down and her dream was she wanted to meet all the Disney princesses and be a princess. And so I would sit in my office and I'd watch this precious little girl that with this translucent skin and bald head with a different princess dress on every day and with the boa and the little acrylic slippers and the little crown. And it was just beautiful. And of course, that was right after 9-11. So the Orlando Business Journal reached out and said, hey, they wanted to do a story about how 9-11 impacted charitable giving. Could they come out and do a story? And so I, I made sure that this little girl, Alyssa, was in, in the story with me in the picture. Well, fast forward, she went back in January and told her doctor that if, they, if you want to make kids well, don't give us shots anymore. Send us to give kids the world. It's magic medicine. Well, this young, beautiful princess now is, has graduated from high school, has graduated from college. And um, her dream, I think, is one day to come back and take my job, which is amazing. We stay in very close contact. And she truly believes that the experience at Give Kids the World saved her life because it gave her hope. And so, you know, that's one end of the spectrum, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, on the other end, we had this beautiful little girl that came down with her family um, from the Maryland area. Her dad was in the um, in the Marines and they came down and um, she was just this precious little girl. Her dream was that she wanted to see Minnie Mouse in the parade. Right. Well, that morning she. Um, also discovered churros. So now her dream was to sit and get as close as she could to the parade, eating a churro, watching Minnie Mouse. And so this, uh, they did, they went there and one of the Disney cast members saw her button and recognized that she was a gift kids of world family. And I don't know if you've been to the parade that, you know, this is pre pandemic where it's just crowded. I mean, you can't get a good, you know, it's just always jockeying for positions. And he noticed her button and he moved the family right up front. Um, so the little girl was sitting there eating a churro and got to wave at Minnie Mouse. And four hours later, she was gone. She unexpectedly, she, she passed away. And this family, you can just imagine 
all they wanted to do the next day was to come back and find that cast member to say thank you because you made our little girl's dream come true. So, you know, very sad, heart-wrenching story, but this family really believed that they were able to give her her wish. And so, you know, you've got those two stories out of 176,000 plus and all of the ones in between that have very different stories and outcomes. And, but we do know that, you know, Gift Kids World has had an impact on every single one of them. Well, when we, there's one family that we met with that really stuck out in my mind when we were there and the mother said, you know, their daily life was hospitals. They, they just had mm-hmm. no life and she's separated from the rest of the family because she's taking her child and staying with him. And mm-hmm. she was so grateful for that week. They were in, in their fifth day at the village. And she said, I, she said, all of the, the extras that they give are so beautiful, but they've given us as a family, this memory to share together. And I was like, that's, I mean, all of the, the ice cream, whenever you want it, no, and Disneyland, that's all wonderful. But that you're actually allowing them to have this beautiful memory together is such a gift. Mm-hmm. And, they, and I think what happens is they don't get that often, right? They're ham- the families are pulled apart. Yeah. You know, one, you know, and again, they, they might have the other kids are sent off to, you know, grandparents' house or babysitters while the, you know, family focuses on the wish child. They spend extend, extended periods of time, you know, apart. And then you have to understand that many of these children show outward manifestations of their illness while others don't. So they're often, you know, people stare, whether it's out of curiosity or concern or compassion or ask awkward questions. And I think what the families feel at the village is they can just feel normal again. Nobody asks them questions. Nobody stares at their child. They all know that they're all there because they share a common bond. And it's just so relaxing for them. They don't have to worry about how are they going to pay for this or how are they going to pay for that? It's just a chance to reconnect as a family and get the whole family back together because so many people don't realize the toll it takes on the extended family, the siblings, and it's just amazing. Yes, absolutely. How how would you say being a part of um, Give Kids the World has changed your life or affected your life with being involved? I, I would imagine just from out, I mean, I'm wanting to burst out into tears because I think about all of these. I think about when we were on Power Rangers and the Make-A-Wish um, children would come and we would be their final wish mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. um, we would get letters that within days or within months they had they had passed away. I couldn't imagine having that on a day-to-day basis month to month basis right lives and then knowing that they're, that they're gone but you know fulfilling their dreams but how how has it affected you in your life you know i think so many different ways i think what it helps you do is to put everything into perspective because you know there are real problems out there there really are um but when you see these children full of life with not knowing how many days they have ahead of them it helps you put other things into perspective and and realize that everything isn't the end of the world, right? I mean, you and you get so much joy out of being around these families because they're so appreciative. And I think the other thing it's taught is that that you know what the the everything the things that bind us together, right, are infinitely stronger than the things that pull us apart. We've got so much in common, and I think we see that every day at the village where. You know, families don't care what color the other family's skin color is or who they worship, who they, you know, where they live, who they voted for. 
They go, oh, your family, your child has leukemia, mine has leukemia. Let's, you know, let's talk about protocols and let's talk about what works for you. The same with the volunteers. They come from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, but they're there to make a difference. And I think that's really, you know, I think that's just solidified my belief that what binds us together is, you know, infinitely stronger than all of those things. And if people could just see that, and the village is such a beautiful uh, microcosm of that, that it can happen if people would just, you know, realize that and value each other and respect each other and be more inclusive. And, um, you know, it's just sad when it's not because you can see it happen day in and day out of the village and you know it can happen. Um, so you just wish everybody could put those things aside. So I think there's so many, you know, I was very blessed. My family was um, very much into giving back and serving from, you know, from the time I was a child. So my dad was successful in business and later in life became a minister. But every weekend, you know, rather than, you know, going at, we were, we were always volunteering every weekend from the minute, you know, that I was old enough to do it. So all through elementary school. And I think, so I already had that, um, that good role model from my dad. So it just seemed like it was just natural. And, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is the meaning of life is to find your gifts. The purpose of life is to give them away. And I was just so blessed to, I think all of those things that I did, when you think back at everything that I did at Disney, right, from hotel operations to public speaking to helping to, you know, be on the opening team for all the resorts and Euro Disney, um, international travel, all of those things helped me to give me the skills that I could put every single one of them in place, um, you know, at Give Kids the World. So it's really taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot. I've been very blessed. Oh. Since you've been um, with Give Kids the World, it has substantially expanded. So right. <laughs> how important was that to you that it expanded to, to where it is now? I mean, it was critical because, you know, when I started, we only had 32 villas. Now we have 166 villas. And those were predominantly filled again, pre-COVID all of the time, right? There were a couple of time periods when we weren't completely, you know, and so to, to take on and say, you promise never to turn down a child, that's a huge promise. And so the other thing is what we recognized, again, not knowing, you know, the siblings and what the impact it has. So if you come and you know the village, right, they're coming to go to the parks, but we have attractions at the village too, for a number of reasons. One is, let's say, you know, the siblings don't get the big vacations and the big birthdays, et cetera. So now they're really excited. They finally get to come and have a vacation. And then they get here and maybe the wish child is sick and they don't feel like going to the parks. Well, instead of just being stuck, let's say in a hotel room, they can be at the village where we have a huge pool and we've got attractions and a miniature golf course and ice cream from 730 in the morning till 930 at night or even later if they need it. So that was really important. And then plus most of most of the theme parks don't have wheelchair accessible rides, right? Because of capacity issues and efficiency and those things. So all of our rides at the village are wheelchair accessible. And so to see a child who's never been on a ride before get wheeled on to an attraction, it it is just amazing. So all of those things needed to happen. And we know that there's roughly 28 to 30,000 children diagnosed with a life-threatening illness every year just in the United States alone. And normally we were doing around 8,000 wishes a year. So, and we know that half of all children, their wishes to come down here. So you, know, you have to grow, That we, we have to grow to make sure that we're always gonna be able to serve all of those children. And when you put the pandemic now into that mix, we were had to close for 10 months. 
And there were roughly 6,000 children whose wishes were postponed. And you have to put yourself in their shoes. I mean, they have leukemia or cancer and they're going, I don't, I don't understand. The world didn't come to a stop because I had leukemia. Why is the world coming to a stop because of a flu or a virus? And so it's hard to explain that to a child and to keep their hopes up and keep their spirits up. Yeah. So um, how has the pandemic affected the village moving forward in terms of like, um, are you going to have to scale back? Like, how is it going to be moving forward now you've had to close for so long? Right. So our immediate um, point when we closed, we closed March 18th of last year. And at the time, I think we were all thinking, oh, this will last a couple of weeks, maybe a few months at most. And then um, you know, we were able to keep our staff whole through the end of June. And then unfortunately, when we realized that you know, the parks weren't open yet and the wish granting organizations weren't going to be ready to send their families, we had to lay off about 84% of our staff, oh. which was heartbreaking. I mean, so we went from 204 staff members down to 29. It was a sad time. I mean, I actually lived at the village for the first five months and it was just me and two security people basically around the clock. But we really took the time, you know, even though there's no silver lining in the pandemic, we said we have to find silver linings in being closed. It goes back to that Abe Lincoln quote, you know, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And we decided we were going to create our own future. And so we decided the first thing is our number one focus is always on safety. So how do we make sure that we're safe and we have all of the protocols in place so that when the minute we can open, families are going to feel safe to be here. And so we partnered with three pediatric infectious disease doctors at Nemours Children's Hospital, partnered with the safety folks at Disney, and just came up with beautiful protocols that are working beautifully now. And um, we're, But we're relentless about it. You know, we, everybody wears a mask, everybody has their temperature taken, social distancing, you know, hand washing and, san, you know, hand sanitizers. So we knew that was the first thing that we established. And then we said, let's get show ready, both on stage and backstage. So we purged and cleaned it a humongous, you know, spring cleaning, donated the food that we weren't going to be able to use to second harvest food bank, donated other supplies and things to other charities, and then looked for ways to use the village. And I, I don't know if you were down for Night of a Million Lights, but it was, we did this incredible light show where for 52 nights, we decorated the village and for the first time ever invited the general public in. And it was a great fundraiser and an awareness builder. But what it also did is it proved that our safety protocols worked so that when the parks were willing to take our families back and some of the wish granting partners are sending families, we were ready to go. So we opened again in January 17th. And um, just so that we make sure that we're not overwhelming the parks and we realize that our major partner has is not yet at a point where they're starting to send wishes, which is make a wish but all the smaller ones are. So we're serving about 25 families a week where pre-pandemic we were serving um, about 166. So we're ready to serve more, but it just depends upon, and I know you know some of the whispering part, they're just being very cautious as they should be and just making all the right decisions. But we just wanted to make sure that when they're ready, we're ready and we are. And the ones that we're serving now are the ones that need it the most. I mean, you know, we've served probably about 120 families so far since we reopened. And unfortunately, we've lost several of those children because, you know, they've been waiting so long. And um, so that's the beauty of it. We're here when when they're ready to come. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. What an amazing call you have on your life, Pam. <laughs> and I take it from um, 
from just a, a godly stance, how has faith, God, mm-hmm. uh, played a role in your life, if if at all? You, you, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, uh, you use the words blessed and God, mm-hmm. and you said that your father was a minister. So I'm a Christian myself, both of us are Christians. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, God has a, an amazing impact on my life. A lot of the mm-hmm. that I make are because of him and him only. How has he played a role in your life in, in, the, in the decisions that you've made? You know, I sometimes, and again, you know, my dad is so interesting. We were always active in the church, but I was never a preacher's kid because my dad graduated from seminary the year I graduated from high school. And then I went away to college. So I never lived in a house where he was a minister, but yet he was, we were always very active in the Presbyterian church. And um, so I had a great foundation, you know, growing up. And when you ask, it's, uh, it's so funny. I talk to God all the time. I mean, I just feel like at some point, if you go back and you look at some of the decisions I made, I, I feel like my life was on autopilot, but God was the pilot because I never would have made some of the decisions. I mean, look at it. I married a man that was much, much older than I was. He was Jewish. I'm the daughter of a Presbyterian minister. I had three. I mean, it just, why, I mean, why would that happen? What, what, you know, why would I be, you know, play tennis that one day? And so I, I think if you look back, it's, you know, people call them. I have a friend who used to say, there are no coincidences. It's God incidences, right? It's, you know, he will lead you in the right path if you just, and you don't always know why, but sometimes, you know, my gosh, I look back at where I am right now and go, wow, when I, I, if I would have been a thinking person, really thought through a lot of these things, when I've made some of the same decisions, but I just, my, I think I just had such faith that I knew I just get, you know, you just know you're making the right decision when you make it. And it's led me in all the right places. And it ended me here to where, you know, if you find you doing the, what you were born to do, you know, you can't, I can't take credit for that. You know, I think that's God in my life. And, um, I was just very blessed to have a very strong faith growing up and it's been with me my entire life. Beautiful. So if, if you could look through your life, um, is there someone that really, um, you could center a hero in your life or a mentor in your life that God is? It would have to be my dad. It would have to be my dad. He, he was, I mean, my parents were both wonderful, but I, my dad, I was a daddy's girl my entire life. And um, when he, so when he retired from the ministry, they moved down, my mom and dad moved down from North Carolina so that he could become the chaplain at the village. And so he was there every single day and everybody knew and loved Dr. Marty. And he was just amazing. And then when my mom passed away, I was really blessed. My dad lived with me the last nine years of his life. So it was just he and I, you know, for the, you know, living in that house. And it was just, he was my hero. He was just, he was the most selfless giving person who could just make any instance, he would just give you a hug and just everything, you knew that everything was going to be okay. And it's so funny because when we have experiences at the village and some of those long-term staff members will come up to me and say, you know, I miss Dr. Marty today because I know he could make me feel, you know, we just found out like maybe a child had passed away or something had happened. They go, we miss Dr. Marty because he just made us feel so good. And um, that was his mission. It's just, you know, he told me a long time ago and I have this plaque. He said, he, his saying was, it's not about me. You know, life is not about me. It's what I was put on earth to do and the service I was led to give. So, you know, I think that was instilled in me in young age. It's it's not about me. 
you know, it's about what I was put on earth to do. And I think that's what made him a hero in, in my eyes was he, it wasn't just lip service. He lived it. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful example. And it shines through you. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. It's so funny. He gave me a plaque when I think I was, it was on Valentine's Day when I uh, was a young kid, it was like the love in your heart isn't put there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. And I still have that plaque. It still sits here in my house. And it's just a constant reminder that, you know, um, I think that's what's so beautiful is that's what Give Kids World is all about is just showering unconditional love on, on complete strangers for an entire week, right? And the volunteers want to do it and the families feel that. And I think that's the thing that they walk away with is so many of them say that they are inspired now to give back and to volunteer themselves because they've never experienced such unconditional love where everybody just wants to be there to make life good for them. Mm. Wish the world could be like that. Can we just do Don't you? out there? <laughs> sprinkle some yeah. of the magic. Sprinkle. <laughs> yeah. Sprinkle kindness like confetti. You know, it's exactly what we should do. Yes. Yes. If you could go back to your mm-hmm. childhood self and give to my what your childhood self, oh my childhood self, and give yourself advice, what would it be? Relax. You know, don't. I mean, just you know, just trust your instincts and enjoy every moment because you just don't know, right? And I think it would be go back and just make sure. You know, as long as you can look in the mirror at the end of every day and say, I did my best. Um, You know, another thing my dad told me when I first became a leader at Disney is, you know, as a leader, you're not going to make everybody happy. And being a pleaser, my whole life, I was trying to make everybody happy. I was trying to please everybody. Is that, I mean, so right. And that's probably the advice, maybe when I think about it and say it out loud, might have been the advice I would have given myself because you can create such stress on yourself when you're trying to make everybody happy and you overcommit and you, you say yes to things you shouldn't say yes to because you just don't want to let anybody down. And then you end up letting yourself down and you have to take care of yourself. So I think that advice, if I, if I would have known that earlier, I probably wouldn't have been quite as stressed because I just, my whole life was, I got to please everybody. And when you're a leader, you can't, you can't make everybody happy because they want different things. But if they at least trust you and they have faith in you, then they might not agree with your decision, but they believe that you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think that's, you know, they just have to believe in you and have faith and trust you. Mm. Oh, that's great advice. Pam, you're amazing. I just, yeah, I'm blessed. <laughs> inspired and empowered by your story and your journey. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, like <laughs> getting teary-eyed. Um, it, it's just, it's um, to see how God has navigated you to, to where you are. When I was reading your resume and reading about your experience, and then I saw everything that you've done for Give, Kid the, Give Kids the World. It's, it's, it's amazing how, just how you said, he put you in these certain places so that you can learn. Uh-huh. So that you can get to give kids the world and you can expand it and you can be able to serve hundreds of thousands of kids. Extraordinary. That is such a huge calling and you have done it so fabulously. And well, I'm just, I'm very blessed. You know, you can't take credit for anything except for, you know, when he made the call, I didn't hang up, right? You listen. (laughs) I am much better. He didn't call on Skype, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have been dead in the water. 
luckily he called a different way um but yeah you know I mean and it's you know it's just to surround yourself with the right people I think the other thing is you know what you learn is you don't have to have all the answers you don't always have to you know and another thing again I just keep going back to my dad that he would always say do you want to be right or do you want to be happy right and that's real you know a lot of people argue for things because they just have to be right well you know enough it's a moral issue or a legal issue or something. So yeah, you're going to fight for those things. But the little things, they just don't matter. And I think that's just what's so important is um, just living life like that and just surround and not believing you have to know everything, but that you surround yourself with people that have the skills that you don't have and the talents that you don't have because nobody in life does anything alone. You have to rely on the spiritual and you have to rely on those the, the physical presence of people. Yes. Yes, that's such good advice. I feel like I need to have a therapy session with you every week. (laughs) (laughs) Once I figure out how to use all types of technology, we'll do it. I would love it. (laughs) Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Thank Thank you you. so much for for being on our show. We we are so blessed to have you and just so in awe. So in awe. Oh, bless your heart. Thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do too. Look forward to meet you in person soon. Yes. 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 Okay, take care. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.